39th letter. My beloved sister, rejoice in the Lord. My beloved sister, rejoice in the Lord. Today I received your letter full of love and piety. I threw up my hands with a fervent soul and ardent love, and I entreated the Lord with hidden shouts of my humble heart. Hearken, I said, O sweet love, Jesus my Savior, the light above all light, begotten of the beginningless Father, the knowledge and truth, my hope and solace, my strength and might, my love and illumination, hearken and send the light of thy divine consolation to my sister, and break the bars and bolts of her darkened and distressed soul, and with the bright light of thy radiance comfort her heart, that her sorrows and the successive waves of temptations lessen. Yes, my sweet Christ, the light that illumines reigns in heart, soul and body, tendons and bones, noose and intellect, and the entire composition of our being. Hearken unto me as I pray for my afflicted and suffering sister. These and many other things, tokens of my affection toward you, do I cry out to my master. For I remember and am not unaware of your many and countless sufferings since childhood. Because of them I love you exceedingly, and amongst all of my beloved I give the most love to you, for the first fruits of my love belong to you. I only ask that you do this for me as a repayment for my immense love toward you. Be a little more patient. And I trust that Jesus, who has already shown so much love to us, will fulfill all your requests even more. You will find not only peace and quiet in your soul, but also everything that is beneficial to our wretched souls will the Lord grant you. Just keep seeking with tears that the Lord's holy will be done in the way he knows best and not yours. As soon as you realize that you have sinned against the Lord, add no more wounds to your bruises. But if as a human you fall again, don't get despondent, don't despair. For how will the loving Lord who told Peter to forgive 70 times 7 in a day not forgive us? Let your husband do as he wishes. Tell him that you gave those things to charity. Don't give to others the alms you were planning on giving them. Don't do another benefaction to someone else. This one is enough. Give up your own will so that you may find peace of soul. For the will of man is a bronze wall that blocks illumination and peace from God. Take as an example our sweet Jesus, who was obedient to his beginningless father unto death on a cross. He gave his body over to scourges, his cheeks to slaps, and he did not turn his face away from spitting. Do you see, my sister, how much love the compassionate Lord showed us? So let us give up our will as well. Let us forgive those who wrong us. Then with boldness we shall say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. For we are all human born of dust, and we have all sinned. We are clay. We are ignorant. Clay robs clay. Clay insults clay. Clay slanders clay. Clay is haughty against clay. Clay gets rich with clay. Clay rules over clay. Clay beats clay. Clay imprisons clay. And in general, clay considers itself wiser, stronger, richer, nobler, and more honorable than clay. Amassing wealth in his stupidity and ignorance of his own existence. He does not care about whence and where he is, how he was born, what his purpose is, where he will end up, what is to come after this. 
So since forgetfulness and ignorance have devoured all of this self-knowledge, and a chaos of insensibility has resulted, all of us who remain unrepentant suffer here as well in the other life. Therefore, anyone who can see better and is slightly less darkened in the noose must forgive and sympathize with his neighbor, his brother of like soul and passions. In the beginning, God did not make man to be like this, to suffer and grieve, but he made him equal to the angels. Only slightly did he differ from the angels. He made paradise in Eden and placed him there to rule as a king with free choice and free will. He bound him with only one commandment, so that it would show that he is governed by someone superior. But since he was deceived by the devil and took delight in the thought of receiving equality with God, he was expelled from paradise to this exile here and fell into afflictions. Banished by God, he was doomed to reap thorns and thistles all the days of his life. Now, what else are these thorns and thistles but the successive misfortunes and daily afflictions caused by temptations, by perverse men, and even by our toilsome nature itself, which has acquired bad habits and tendencies as second nature. We suffer more painful temptations from it than the other enemies. And if the mercy of God does not reach us in time, we are in danger of perishing. When will all of this end? When, as he says, out of dust wast thou taken, and unto dust shalt thou return. So this is the end of the pains and afflictions that the loving Lord has set. So, my dear sister, what are you searching for? What road can we find that does not bring forth thorns and thistles? What other path is there that is not included in God's banishment? Show me the kings who just recently had music playing for them, and at whom the whole world trembled. Where has all of this gone? The thorns choked them. Where are those who were rulers just a moment ago, who were eaten alive by swarms of bees? Behold the thistles. So then, who was able to disentangle himself from the thorns? No one. Only death can do that. Come, therefore, and let us cry out Solomon's verse together. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Blessed is he who endures until the end, disregarding everything, who through forbearance decreases the thorns and thistles and allows earthly loss for the sake of heavenly riches. For this reason, my beloved sister, soul of my soul, set aside your rights and wills for the sake of my immense love toward you. Unite the good pair of patience and forbearance. Pray that the Lord will protect me as well, because I perceive that your beloved, sisterly, spiritual prayers greatly help me. And when you find time, do a 40-day liturgy to, to lighten my spiritual burdens. You wrote for me to order an icon, but you forgot to write which saint and what size. Write, and I shall tell them to make one. Just now, this very moment, I received the little basket and opened it and found the measurements of the holy icons. So be at peace. It's just that they were a little slow in finishing. I also received your sisterly gifts, not just simple gifts, but gifts of love, gifts from a sister who has been fighting the good fight since childhood. And because of these small gifts, she receives in return from the munificent God comfort and delight in his heavenly kingdom. Oh, in the little basket I saw foods from the days of our youth, 
the fruits of our homeland, and I remembered our childhood, and said, O vain world, how miserable you were, are, and will be until the end, and how blessed for the blessed ones is that eternal and unending delight. O my sister, if you taste only a small amount of grace from these heavenly things, you will become like iron in patience. You wrote that you are agitated and making plans as though for building. You speak the truth, but these are the things this world has. But take heart, whoever has learned how to build will learn someday to take no account of the world. Perhaps the Lord will find us while we are building and take us where there is no longer any place for the plans of men. And then we shall have a house forever. So take heart. I am building with you and for you, and no one can destroy it. Only see to it that you send me a drachma or two to buy nails for the doors and windows. Take heart and have patience. I thank you very much for everything, and I pray for you with all my soul. Give my humble prayers to all our brothers. I kiss mother's feet. I embrace your benign husband and your children, and I wish them to become good children. As for your questions, the son whose mother asked you cannot be commemorated by the church because he committed suicide. If she wants, she can only give to charity for him. The Lord is great, and the depth of his charity is infinite. If she wants, she should send alms especially to the ascetics, who pray day and night, and whose prayers the Lord hears. As you mentioned, she knows many monks. She should give them alms to distribute amongst themselves or to nuns. Nothing else can be done for him. As for the girl who says she has taken an oath, that oath does not count because it is contrary to God. So she has to tell everything to her spiritual father. 40th letter. God always helps. He always comes in time, but patience is necessary. Come, my good and beloved sister. Come, and I shall comfort your sorrow once again. Come, and we shall bless God with the sweet voice of our heart, intoned through our mouth, and resonating in our noose, saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and let all that is within me bless his holy name. Do you see how much the Lord loves us? Do you see how fortunate we ungrateful ones are for everything that his goodness gives us every day? But the time of the real harvest still awaits us, that blessed moment when we shall leave everything here and depart to the other homeland, the true one, the blessed life, the certain joy, so that each one of us receives the portion that the munificent, sweetest Jesus will give him. O oh joy, O oh gratitude, O oh love of the Heavenly Father, he cleanses us from all defilement, honors us, enriches us, bestows his riches. There, my golden sister, there are no crafty people to wrong us. Envy and jealousy will have disappeared. There are no passions there whatsoever. Those who have them have remained on the other side of the bridge. For a great gulf is fixed between here and there. But, O oh, sweet love of Christ, what good dost thou see in us that thou dost lead us along thy divine path? So rejoice and exalt, my beloved sister. Thank and glorify God, and behold, the time draws near. The time will soon come for us to hear the blessed voice, Come unto me. And as soon as these bodily eyes close, the noetic eyes of the soul will open. 
then as if from sleep we shall wake up into the other life. Then you will see parents, brothers, relatives. Then you will see angels, saints, and the Blessed Mother of all, the pure Virgin Theotokos, whom we call upon at every moment, and to whom after God we owe everything. Then whom shall we speak with first? Who will kiss us first? Whom shall we kiss? With all purity, with all modesty, with all holiness. So who, expecting such blessings, would not endure every sorrow here of this present life? Therefore, my good, beloved sister, make a review of your life. Examine in what manner you have passed your life. Recall the innumerable benefactions of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and his sweetest mother, and be patient in the temptations that come. God always helps. He always comes in time, but patience is necessary. He hears us immediately when we cry out to him, but not in accordance with our own way of thinking. You think that your voice did not immediately reach the saints or Panagia and Christ. On the contrary, even before you cried out, the saints rushed to your aid, knowing that you would call upon them and seek their God-given protection. However, since you do not see beyond what is apparent and do not know how God governs the world, you want your request to be fulfilled like lightning. But this is not how things are. The Lord wants patience. He wants to show you your faith. You cannot just pray like a parrot. It is necessary also to work towards whatever one prays for and then to learn to wait. You see that what you longed for in the past has finally happened. However, you were harmed because you didn't have the patience to wait, in which case you would have gained both the one and the other, both the temporal and the eternal. Now you became angry and faint-hearted and grieved, thinking that the Heavenly Father is slow in answering. But I tell you that this will also happen as you desire. It will definitely happen, but first it takes prayer with all your soul, and then you must wait. And when you have forgotten your request and have ceased thinking, asking for it, it will come to you as a reward for your patience and endurance. When you reach the verge of despair while praying and seeking, then the fulfillment of your request is near. Christ wants to heal some hidden passion within you, and this is why he delays in granting your request. If you obtain it sooner, when you demand it, your passion remains uncured within you. If you wait, you obtain your request and the cure of the passion. And then you rejoice exceedingly and give warm thanks to God who arranges all things in wisdom and does everything for our benefit. So then, there's no point in losing heart, getting upset, complaining. You must close your mouth. Let no one perceive that you are disturbed. Don't fume with anger, as if to work it out of your system, but rather be calm. Burn the devil through patience and forbearance. The Lord who destroys all who speak lies is my witness that I have greatly benefited by the advice I am giving you. The temptations I had were strong enough to make you think that your soul would depart due to the pain, as if from a flaming furnace. Nevertheless, once the trial is over, so much consolation comes that you feel as if you were in paradise without a body. Then Christ loves you, our Panagia loves you, the saints praise you, and the angels admire you. Do you see how many good things temptations and afflictions cause? So if you too want to see, to taste the love of Christ, endure whatever comes upon you, not whatever you like, but whatever the Lord wants to test you with. 
What we suffer voluntarily is absolutely nothing in comparison with the trials the Lord sends us against our will. The hostile devil fights us bone against bone and blood against blood, as much as God allows. He fights so much that one melts and flows like wax before the fire. But when the trial passes, you are totally filled with joy. You are encompassed with extraordinary light and see mysteries which the human tongue is unable to utter. And henceforth you thirst for more temptations, when they will come again since you have already learned how salutary they are. This is truly the road, my sister, and the one writing to you bears witness to the truth out of his own experience. So be brave and strong in the Lord, enduring whatever comes to you, expecting, along with the pain, the peace and grace of God. Be strong and give courage to your soul, considering that the lame and the maimed do not enter into these good things. Christ allows temptations so that we may be purified of our predispositions. Temptations are like soap and a mallet which hits us and whitens us. All the clothes that are firm and useful for the bridegroom. But those which do not endure the mallet are torn and thrown out in the trash. Therefore, let us exert ourselves a little bit here, for the time draws near. Keep the letters I send you, so that you will have them when afflictions trouble you, because it seems to me that I shall soon leave you. The more that time passes, the more seriously ill I become. I am like a paralytic now. Postscript. I don't have time to write to you about the miracle that the Lord showed me to correct a mistake. I was making out of ignorance, as you know. So, do you see the great goodness of our Lord? Do you see that he even works miracles when his divine providence deems it suitable? Many times a person is deluded out of ignorance or because others misled him. But when he has an upright soul and good intentions, the Lord does not abandon him, but will bring him enlightenment in various ways. This makes me feel like dirt, ash, and a worm of the earth. Most truly great is the mercy of the Lord. The psalmist is right in saying, Not according to our sins hath he dealt with us, nor according to our iniquities hath he rewarded us. So then, why shouldn't you thank God? Why should you grumble? If I were to write to you the temptations I undergo, you would not be able to bear it. Nevertheless, the grace of Christ and our Panagia dispels them all. Have patience, for the Theotokos, the queen and lady of all, does not abandon us. She prays for us. 41st letter. The springtime is at hand. The winter of sorrows is dissolving little by little. My dear sister, I received and joyfully read your very pious letter which filled my soul with happiness. I can mentally see the abundance of your heart blooming and bearing witness to the birth of the new man, the spiritual infant. So be stout-hearted and strong in temptations and embrace patience as a great guardian. Again and again may your might be strengthened in sorrows, for soon we shall depart from here. The springtime is at hand. The winter of sorrows is dissolving little by little. Soon we shall dwell in the nests which we built by enduring continual temptations and sorrows. Then there will be no one to quarrel with us, no one to envy us, no one to injure us and take vengeance on us. All these things will remain here in this world. We shall tear away from our toilsome body full of suffering with which we are clothed here, 
which does not want to carry out the commandments of God, and we shall leave it in the mother earth which gave us birth. Then, as high-flying eagles in the open sky, we shall occupy the holy mansions. After the resurrection, we shall receive this earthen vessel, our body, once again. But then it will no longer be heavy and burdensome, sensual and sluggish, but entirely changed by the fiery gleam of our sweetest Jesus. It will shine rays brighter than the sun, enlightening even the ether. The sufferings here are small in comparison to the future compensation. Therefore, tell your soul, have patience. And for those things you wrote to me, we all had them when we used to consider the vanity of the world to be something great. But now that we have come to full knowledge and have perceived the lie, God looks no longer at the past, but at the present. All those things are blotted out with one straightforward confession. It is enough for us to proceed now, according to the commandments of the Lord in accordance with our strength. You asked me to send a letter to our friends, but since there is nothing to build upon, no willingness of soul, how can I work? They must seek to learn, and then I shall speak. Otherwise, we shall be aimlessly beating the air. One person wants to correspond, but he doesn't ask about his soul, his sins, his mistakes, how to fix them. He only says, Hey, what's new? Another one writes about the weather. The others don't ask at all. Besides, even the Lord does not tell us to speak without being asked, but rather he says, Give to him that asketh of thee. He does not say to him that does not ask. There are thousands of souls that seek our advice, and God demands that we give it. Those who do not seek it are benefited more by prayer. Let us pray for them to come to their senses, and then they too will seek advice. Then we too, with joy and love, will easily give to them from what God has given to us. As for the wine you sent, the priest was afraid that it might have water in it and didn't use it. So I drank it to your health. And I remembered days of old and meditated at night with my heart and said, Vanity of vanities, and all is vain. Everything was a dream and disappeared. They were bubbles that burst, a spider's web that was torn. All human things are vanity, everything that does not exist after death. Alas, we are in exile and we do not want to realize it. We do not want to see from what heights we have fallen. But with our own evil will, we cover our ears and shut our eyes, blinding ourselves willingly so that we might not see the truth. Woe to us! For we consider the darkness here to be light, and for a paltry pleasure that this world offers, we avoid the light there as if it were darkness. We avoid it because of the small sorrow that the body encounters, and lose the repose there. Woe to our wretchedness! For God calls us out to become his children, but we become sons of darkness. We exchange eternity for a little bit of honey. For the small pleasure of luxury or glory, we deny and fall away from the glory of the kingdom of God. So blessed is he who sees this deception and abstains from the fleeting pleasures of this world and aspires to the enjoyment that awaits us. And you, my good and beloved sister, who have chosen God from your youth, struggle to brighten the garment of the bridal chamber. Entreat the Lord day and night to forgive you all things of the past, 
to give you strength from above to keep his divine commandments. And when he receives you in repentance, may he count your soul together with the righteous. Then we shall enjoy each other up there insatiably unto all the ages. 42nd letter. This, my sister, is the art of arts and the science of sciences. Nowadays, my sister, things are not the way they were in the days of old, which you have in mind. The condition of most people today is limited to an external formality. Beyond this, there is no concern or care for the inner soul, which is really everything. This is where the material unites with the immaterial, man with God, as much as our earthly nature can hold. This union is the most beautiful thing and very good, but we all avoid it. We all turn our backs because it takes a struggle. The human mind greatly shudders even to hear about the struggle needed. In this struggle, God must help, for without him nothing can be achieved. The human will must struggle and the body must shed blood because the skin of the inner man has to be shed. The old man has to melt like wax, and just as rust falls off iron when it enters the fire, a similar thing happens to man too. Grace gradually comes, and as soon as it approaches a person, he melts like wax. And at that moment, he does not recognize himself. He is wholly a many-eyed, very clear noose. During this supernatural activity, he cannot distinguish himself because he is completely united with God. Then the rust falls off. The seal is removed. The old man dies. The primeval blood is removed. The whole man is renewed. The person does not undergo a bodily change, but his natural talents and gifts are enlightened, strengthened, and renewed by grace. And the Adam of old, who was formed in the image of God, is vitalized. Since we are evil, prodigal, and perverted by having inherited the sin of Adam, we are in the image of the evil one now. This is how he has rendered us of blood and phlegm. However, before these changes take place, many things are necessary. It takes extreme fasting so that the primeval blood leaves and the phlegm, that filth, is cleansed. The predispositions that one has grown accustomed to since childhood must be obliterated. Fasting must also be coupled with perpetual vigils, not once or twice, but constantly, so that the slothful and fat noose is made thin. Furthermore, it must be accompanied by ceaseless prayer with the noose, lips, and heart. Just as man dies when he stops breathing, so too does the soul die without continuous and endless prayer. It dies because that living flesh which is beginning to be conceived by the perpetuity of the prayer falls asleep, and the passions are rejuvenated. For the enemy does not sleep, but fights continuously. And just as an infant which is conceived in its mother's womb suffocates and dies if it ceases to breathe, the same thing happens with spiritual conception if the noetic work ceases. All this is fine, but the struggle does not end here. We have many struggles. You have to fight with multitudinous spirits, the greatest one being the spirit of fornication. It raises its sail as high as the heavens and sinks it as low as the abysses. You fast, keep vigil, cry out, weep, are in pain. It, however, with the help of Satan, does not stop fighting even for a moment 
but continuously provokes, fire proceeding from fire, seed of Esau, son of Babylon. You cry out seeking Christ, you beat yourself, weep, and are in pain, and this lasts not for one day or year, but for eight or ten years until God sees your patience, until you reach despair, and then the Lord takes away the evil and eliminates the passion. This happens with all the passions, but the others are not completely eliminated like this one, nor do they have such strength because they are outsiders. Whereas the conjugal passions is natural, and a person has to struggle to change his nature, yet he cannot change his nature, but God changes it as the lawgiver. He can break the boundaries and alter nature as he wills. But if I were to write to you about the temptations and passions one by one, I would have to write a book. For in addition to all those that fight man and that he fights against, as long as he lives, there are also all those which God permits to test us. Since the latter occur without our own will, they cause much toil and are difficult to fight. Do you know what it is like not to bother people while they irritate you? Not to rob them while they rob you? To bless while they curse you? To show them mercy while they treat you unjustly? To praise them while they criticize you? For them to come to censure you for no reason and constantly call you deluded all your life while knowing that it is not as they say? to see the temptation that provokes them, yet to repent and weep as if you were guilty of being such a person. These are the strongest temptations, because while you are being fought by them, you are also fighting with yourself to convince yourself that this is how it is. As people are saying, even though it is not so, you see that you are totally right, yet convince yourself that you are wrong. This, my sister, is the art of arts and the science of sciences. To flog yourself until you are persuaded to call the light darkness and the darkness light, so that every right leaves, so that all arrogance is obliterated, so that you become a fool with complete understanding, so that you see everyone without anyone seeing you at all. For he who becomes spiritually examines everyone, yet he himself is examined by no one. He sees everything, he has his eyes fixed above, and no one sees him. Virtue does not have a bell that rings to rouse your curiosity to make you turn and see him. It is an immaterial gift of God. Why is it called grace? Because it cannot be seen, contained, visualized, or colored. A gift of God. An inexpressible, incomprehensible, and most rich miracle. This is why when the Lord walked down the road, he looked like the rest of the people, even though he is the true God. He eats and drinks, they said. He was called a deceiver and possessed. And today, if someone speaks about grace, about purification of the inner man, he is considered deluded. He's deluded, you will immediately hear. The idea of taking care of the inside of the cup, as the Lord tells us, has been completely removed from people's minds. So this, in brief, is one drop of the sea and was written to you, my sister, only because you wrote that you see the monk's faults and don't respect them. But I don't want you to write such things because you are a member similar to them and you are not ent entirely free from blame. You too must go through fire and water and thus your merit will show. At what value you have been appraised by the Lord, not by men. Men do not know how to value things. 
the judge must appraise us. He who sets the contest, arranges the match, gives the strength, subdues the adversaries, crowns the athletes, and awards glory. This is neither easy to learn with words if you do not enter the furnace of trials, nor easy to understand if you have not experienced it. So then, humble your thoughts and don't think that it is easy to undergo and learn such things. 43rd letter. Truly I know a brother who fell into ecstasy while sitting under a full moon. By the goodwill of God, my golden sister, behold, I am speaking with you again through ink and paper. I have been back on the holy mountain for more than 15 days now. Before leaving Thessaloniki, I wrote you a letter. Likewise, I sent you the holy icons and a basket full of goodies. However, I forgot what I had put in. I think it was tea and hazelnuts, a blessing for the children. You will receive them from Sister Veronica at the monastery of Melitia. Anyway, by now they must have brought them to you. When I was in Thessaloniki, since I was in a rush to return, I didn't write for you to come because you were slow in writing and it might have taken you some time to get there. That is why I broke my promise. But another time, if God wills, you will see me and I shall see you however the Lord provides. Now I only ask that you have patience and temptations. Don't worry about the money for the holy icons. Whenever you get it, you can send it together with the money for the other icon of the three hierarchs. It's being done now. It's almost finished. And please, if that lady is poor, don't ask her for more money because she might not have any. I shall take care of things here as the Lord wills. I just want her to send the name of her deceased parents to be commemorated. If another woman wants icons, let her write to me and send the money, and I shall order them. It is no trouble for me, and in this way I help the ascetics, and they in turn help me out, too. Here there is no profit, but we fulfill the commandment of love, as the Lord says, love one another. Besides, a monk ought to sacrifice himself day and night for the glory and love of God. We here, my sister, don't sleep at all at night. Every night we have a vigil. We pray for the whole world all night. Only in the morning and midday do we rest a little after we eat. This is our rule. Half the day we work. The rest of the time we rest in silence and are content. Ascetical life, wilderness, Angelic life, full of grace, if only you were here to see us. Oh, if only it were possible for you to see us. Here, my sister, it is an earthly paradise. And if from the beginning one lays hold of a demanding, lofty lifestyle, he becomes a saint. Otherwise, if he takes a path which is a little bit wide, later he will go downhill. Sometimes he may even become worse than worldly people. The devil fights very much against the monks. He wants to get revenge on Christ. He says, Behold your soldiers, Nazarene. You promised them an eternal kingdom, and they deny you. For a little pleasure of the palate, they follow me. This is how the devil boasts. This is why one who wants to become a monk must have great self-denial and must say that he will not live in this life any longer. He must crucify himself, enduring every temptation that comes. Hunger, thirst, nakedness, injustice, abuse, and every kind of affliction. But if he does not take these things into consideration, 
but comes in order to relax, it would be better for him not to come, but to live in the world as a good Christian, whether a man or a woman. For a monk, there are times when grace is present and it helps him. Then he is in paradise and lives like a bodiless angel. But when grace leaves to test him, then he tastes the poisonous waters of Hades at every moment. Darkness and grief overcome the soul. But again, light and consolation come, and then unbearable pain again. But the married person walks on a moderate path, neither greatly uphill nor severely downhill. So may God help each one with the burden which he is able to bear. For there is a great burden in the monastic way of life, and the struggle is enormous, and he who approaches it needs great vigilance and continuous constraint of nature. And until death he must not try, he must not become overconfident and lose his watchfulness, otherwise he immediately falls and is ruined. Because the bloodthirsty and crafty demons vigilantly wait for an appropriate time. So, may God enlighten and protect us. All we monastics leave the world and all things of the world for one purpose, so that we be counted worthy of the incorruptible and eternal good things. Whoever forgets this purpose shows that he does not understand why he chose this hard path of monastic life. Our struggle is to disregard not only the pleasant things, but also the sad things of the present life. Every day transporting our life to the heavens, let us love with all our soul and heart our Lord Jesus Christ and his sweetest mother because of all their love for us. After we pass the storm of this life, we shall be inseparable from them. So let us always look ahead to the indescribable glory and that ineffable beauty which have been prepared for those who have struggled and endured. Truly, I know a brother, and I am not lying, who fell into ecstasy while sitting under a full moon in the depths of the wilderness. Perfect silence. No person or hut was there. While he was keeping vigil and praying, he heard the sweet voice of a bird which attracted all his mind and took him away from him all his perception. He followed it to see where such a sweet voice was coming from. And he was looking here and there as if beside himself, not yet with feet and eyes, but seeing and walking in ecstasy, and he proceeded and saw a brilliant light full of fragrance and grace. He left the birds warbling and was lifted, or rather captured, into Theoria of the abundant light. And walking as St. Andrew the Fool for Christ, he entered a road as white as snow. On both sides the walls were set with diamonds. Everything there was impossible to describe. He looked inside, and there was an exquisite paradise decorated with all kinds of flowers. Everything was covered with gold, such that no human tongue could describe it. He stared and wondered at it all like a crazy man. And as he proceeded, he saw in the middle a huge palace as white as snow and as tall as heaven. In the door stood Our Lady Theotokos, the Queen of the Angels, our only relief the indescribable fragrance and comfort of every Christian soul, carrying the snow-white infant in her arms, who shone brighter than a thousand suns. As that brother drew near, he fell down like a sun before his mother, all ablaze with divine Eros. Then she embraced him as a true child and kissed him, O Eros of the love of God, O love of the mother toward a son. 
She embraced him like her own child. She filled him with ineffable fragrance. And that truthful brother told me that all the years of his life, whenever he recalls this divine vision, he feels fragrance and sweetness in his soul. That indescribable, sweetest infant caressed his face with his plump little hand, and he was informed by the mother regarding a mystery which he had been fervently praying about for many days. Furthermore, the son told him, To enjoy such grace, you must struggle and suffer all your life. Then he left again the same way he entered, without wanting to. The farther he withdrew, the more clearly he heard the voice of the bird again, which had captivated him in the beginning. Looking up, he saw a large bird with millions of colors which covered the entire paradise with its wings. There were thrones all around, and little birds were sitting uniformly, making the ineffable melody, and everyone there was enjoying himself. After seeing all this, that brother came to himself again, and was in the same place he was before he saw these things. So, hearing such things, we endure every sorrow and affliction for the multitude of good things which have been prepared for us. For things that seem beautiful here are darkness and hell in comparison with those things. 44th letter. Be careful, my good little daughter, for you have already grown up now and thoughts begin to change. My beloved daughter, my good dove, my good little child, I hope, my child, that you are well in body and soul. A thought came to me a few days ago, and I said to myself, How is it that my child is so late in writing to us? How did she neglect it? Perhaps my daughter is busy with her studies. Finally, I received your letter and was glad to hear about your health, but grieved for the sins you commit all the time. For you are such a small girl, and yet you quarrel with everyone. I wonder, when you become a little bride of Christ the Master, when you put on the holy monastic schema, will you correct your unbecoming behavior, or will you still quarrel? Anyway, let everything be forgiven now. Just be careful from now on or else I shall give you a severe penance. Since you are a bride of the heavenly king, you should not do anything unbecoming, but should be the smallest, most modest, and most humble before everyone. You should weep with many tears in your eyes, entreating to be counted worthy of the joy of the wise virgins, along with all the angels and saints. Be careful, my good little daughter, for you have already grown up now, and thoughts begin to change. The darts of the evil one have begun to fly near you. Guard your soul. Guard your honor greatly. Christ and our Panagia want us to have caution and fear of God always and in everything. Don't expect to find joy and rest in anything that grieves your soul and upsets divine grace. Joy is a gift of God to our soul, and if you dishonor it, it will not come back unless you feel sorry and repent with much pain for every sin you committed. But what is the point of thoughtlessly chasing away the dove of grace, and then with regret and many sighs seeking it back again? Many people have chased joy away by foolishly dishonoring it, and then it never came back. Therefore be careful, my good little girl. Without your mother, don't take a single step. Don't have many friends. Don't love ornaments. Don't seek perfumes. All these things are worldly pursuits which are not only superfluous, but also sinful. You should have the fear of God as a constant adornment, humility as a modest garment, 
The queen of all is your mighty protection. The angel of your soul is a guardian and guide. The virginal fragrance of your soul and body is a scent of perfume. Yes, my child, do so, and you will live now and unto the ages. The death of your soul is walking beside you. It precedes your steps. It hovers around your heart, flies into your eyes, wrestles with your thoughts. Be careful with your life. Guard your soul greatly. Yes, my golden daughter, this is because the world has gone bad. Since the tempter sees your divine love and godly zeal, he places an obstacle and a stumbling block in the road of life. Therefore, listen to my words and keep them so that they guard you from the stumbling blocks. Read the divine books so that your noose may be enlightened by them and that your soul may be directed along a spiritual path. And this divine reading will become your heavenly dowry and eternal riches. In addition, make sure that you disobey neither your father nor your mother. Keep yourself from meeting with worldly people. Your young and innocent age has already passed. Do not acquire the habit of talking a lot. Few words are better, whereas silence is spiritual wealth. If you become talkative, not only will you lose the Jesus prayer shortly, but also you will greatly tire your soul and without fail will harm many others. For in a multitude of words thou shalt not escape sin. And henceforth, my daughter, see to it that you always be prudent, humble, obedient, silent, patient, abstinent, diligent, praying night and day without ceasing. Your mouth should not stop saying the prayer. Then you will see how much your noose will be enlightened, how your heart will pour forth joy and peace. Do everything with discretion after receiving good advice. Love confession and receive communion frequently. Do not look at the world so that God may look at you. And if you always keep virginity of body and soul, the All-Holy Virgin will keep you from every evil, from manifold, visible, and invisible enemies. And I pray, my humble daughter, that the will of the Lord will be fulfilled in you quickly. May the Lord grant you, grant thee according to thy heart. 45th letter. Greetings in the Lord, my dearly beloved son. Greetings in the Lord, my dearly beloved son, who is very good, but a little irascible, very wise, but a little stubborn, very kind, but a little jealous. I hope, my child, that I shall see you soon, as my soul desires. I received your letter, but please, my child, write a little more clearly, because with all the scribbling, I couldn't read it. For as you can see, my good child, I am uneducated. Only by saying the syllables out loud can I barely read the words, and only some, not all. Thus I forget the beginning by the time I get to the end. And why, my child, do you keep complaining that I don't write to you? I, the unfortunate one, don't even have time to respond to those who write to me. How much less to whoever doesn't write? Don't you know, my child, that your letter incites me to write? Don't you know that as a monk, I also have many spiritual obligations that do not let me be idle for even a minute? For I am obliged to pray for all of you. So instead of writing a letter, I compensate for it with prayer. As for homilies, you can find many people there to listen to, whereas prayer is extremely difficult to find in the world. But here, where it is quiet, it is easier for us. Therefore, do not complain, because whatever I do, I do it with knowledge and the fear of God. 
When you want to write a letter again, do not grow weary, but write, and then once more I shall be obedient to you. For the Lord says, Give to him that asketh of thee, not to him who doesn't ask. I pray with pain of soul and with many tears, my child, that the Lord guards you from every evil. Run quickly and escape like a deer jumping over the snares of the devil, treading upon asps and basilisks. Rejoice without ceasing with the joy of our sweetest Jesus and of his all-immaculate mother. If, God willing, you come sometime after Pascha, we shall talk about wonderful spiritual things. We shall discuss many things then. Then you will see here in the wilderness our tiny, beautiful huts. You will truly rejoice. You will leap like a deer. You will dance like a lamb. You will see how the soul wakes up, how it is nursed like a baby, how it develops in knowledge with time and how it grows, if it is well taken care of. Likewise, you will see how it becomes ugly, sick, entirely dead, and utterly lost. So dream with good hopes, await the spring to come, and have the summer ahead of you. Reflect upon what I am writing to you and the time will pass swiftly. Force yourself also in your spiritual obligations so that the enemy does not find an opportunity to ensnare you. In short, that is all, my son, with much love to you. 46th letter. This world, my child, is so vain. I rejoice that you are well, my child. I also see your mistake. Since you nearly blasphemed, now you will do twice as many matanyas every day for 40 days. But you will start after Pentecost. And be careful henceforth, my child, not to acquire this kind of demonic habit. Oh, my child, be careful, because the world is very bad nowadays, and the devil sows evil thoughts to enfeeble the soul's eagerness. For this reason, be as abstemious as you can, because overeating gives birth to evils and fantasies. In times of temptation, always take refuge in Christ in our Panagia. Call upon the saints for their help and be careful. For once the devil beguiles you into committing a sin, you cannot become a priest. It would be a shame to regret it all your life. Therefore be careful, be careful as much as you can. Flee from evil thoughts as though from fire. Pay no attention to them so that they do not grow roots within you. Furthermore, do not despair, since God is great and forgives sinners. Only repent when you make a mistake, and force yourself not to commit the same sins again. Moreover, be careful with your fellow students. Do not talk superfluously, and do not listen to improper things, because your soul's ears will be soiled. See to it that you are obedient, prudent, humble, virtuous, a friend of prayer and reading. Pray with tears. Pray while you study. Let your mouth never stop saying, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And get ready to become a good monk when our holy God wills, pleasing to God and men. This world, my child, is so vain, full of every evil, a place of exile for Adam and subsequently for us as well. But blessed is he who has traded well during this exile and reached the haven of salvation, for he will eternally rejoice with the saints and reign together with Christ unto all the ages. 47th letter. But we here have chosen the heavenly philosophy. My child, child of our sweetest Jesus, child of the Panagian of the saints, what shall I say to you? 
Where shall I find words to warm your soul? From where shall I draw water to give you to drink? Where shall I find bread to fill you? Woe to me, woe to me, the wretch, for I have been counted worthy to give birth in the Holy Spirit to such a son, such a good youth, of like mind and zeal. When will I be made worthy to see you near me? When will I enjoy your pleasant company? When will I see you in the middle of our church, prostrate and crying in front of the icon of our sweetest Jesus? I wonder, will I be worthy to see such things? I wonder, should I hope? I wonder, should I wait until I see you? And then say along with the divine Simeon, Now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace. Woe to me, the wretch! Tears shut my eyes. My hand is paralyzed. My pen is dry. My heart throbs from emotion, hearing that you are about to become a wise man among the wise, a teacher among the teachers, an orator among orators, a theologian among theologians, a preacher among preachers, a monk among monks, a priest among priests, and a son of God among the sons of God. Therefore, my beloved nestling, come fly to me. Behold, I open to you my fatherly bosom full of affection. Run as a deer, and I shall give you living water to drink. Come, my son, to our table, and I shall give you the bread of life. Walk quickly, lose no time, for death pursues us as an evil wayfarer, and the world is a liar. Life is full of Satan's snares, and brings a twofold death upon us. The pleasure of the world passes away like a shadow. Everything is a dream, like bubbles they burst. All is vanity. But we here have chosen the heavenly philosophy and sojourn in the depths of divine mysteries, making our noose clear. As much as possible, we see to it that we grasp things unobtainable for the hands, but attainable for the noose, having God as our helper and holy fiery angels speaking to us and showing us heavenly paths through a good conscience. Then in the end, when our soul departs and this lowly body of ours returns to the earth, as if to the mother of all, then we shall depart as if returning to our true homeland, and we shall converse with angels as with brothers, giving one another a divine embrace, and continuously marveling at the heavenly choirs with amazement until we come before our Master and Savior and thenceforth remain inseparable. So come running, so that you do not fall away from these things. Arise and gird your loins like a man. Come, and I shall be waiting for you. Perhaps after a few years I shall depart, and then I shall not be able to benefit you at all. 48th letter. Listen to my voice, my good son. Listen to my voice, my good son. There is nothing more beautiful or sweeter than to love the Lord Jesus. There is nothing loftier than to philosophize about heavenly things and to behold the eternal blessings by looking at the present things as if in a mirror. Truly, virginity is the loftiest thing. It turns man into an angel on earth. Great is its glory in the heavens, and great is its boldness. In the heavenly kingdom, the virgins will follow Jesus, the slain lamb. They will behold his godly beauty, and they will delight in the luxuriousness of his extremely sweet love. Blessed is he who has who was enlightened to choose beautiful virginity as a bride. With her beauty she will make him happy. Blessed is he who avoided the vain cares of married life and followed Christ. 
carrying his yoke since youth. He will undergo afflictions, but they will only adorn the unfading crown of most holy virginity even more. Come, my child, and occupy yourself with divine philosophy. A new world will be created within you, a new spirit, another heaven, which are unknown to you because the people you have talked with till now have no idea about them. A monk is not like someone you meet who speaks words without fruit. A true monk is a product of the Holy Spirit. When through obedience in Hezekiah, a monk's senses have been purified, his noose has been calmed, and his heart has been cleansed, he then receives grace and enlightenment of knowledge. He becomes all light, all noose, all lucid. He overflows with so much theology that even if three people were to start writing down what they were hearing, they could not keep up with the current of grace coming out in waves, spreading peace and utmost quiescence of passions throughout the body. The heart burns with divine love and he cries out, Hold back, my dear Jesus, the waves of thy grace, for I am melting like wax. Truly he melts, unable to bear it. His noose is caught up into theoria. A mixing occurs. He is transformed and becomes one with God to the point that he cannot recognize or distinguish himself, just like iron in a furnace becomes one with the fire. So you will taste all these things when you attach yourself to an experienced elder, a spiritual father, and struggle with noetic prayer. You also have me who will write to you often and reveal mysteries to you, of which you will not savor even a drop if you stay in the world. Lay aside your endeavors and puffed up words. The inner man is what divine grace wants you to unite you to God, and then you will be useful to others as well. Read, if you want, the Ecclesiastical History by Miletios of Athens and see how many teachers, Origen and thousands of others, were at first great luminaries of the church possessing extensive learning. But since they gave themselves over to the sea of knowledge before receiving in Hezekiah the purification of their senses and the peace and tranquility of the spirit, they sank in the ocean of the Holy Scriptures. They thought that their scholarly learning was sufficient. Thousands were lost and anathematized by the councils of which they had been previously champions. Read and you will see. I know that you will remember my words, if you live, even if you do not listen to me now. But it will be late, for I shall no longer be in this life. No one loves you more than I do, nor does anyone dare to tell you the plain truth if he sees it. From all those people you have met until now, you have heard only flattery, trickery, and the teachings of the eighth millennium, everything false and commonplace. Whereas you, as a tender little shoot, needs spiritual wisdom and the plain truth. Your soul needs pure light, and your heart needs deep incisions to discharge the poison of pleasures and passions. But don't let, don't tell to many others these things I am writing to you, because people of this age do not occupy themselves with such things. This is why if someone speaks to them about noetic work and prayer, they think that he is talking about some kind of heresy. This, unfortunately, is how the people of our evil age are. Whereas a true monk must occupy himself day and night with the contemplation of God, whether he is eating, sleeping, working, or walking, God is the one closest to us, with whom we may speak continuously. For God is in your sight, God is in your noose, 
in your speech, in your breath, in your food, wherever you look, God is there. In him we live and move. He holds us in his bosom. So cry out constantly, my dear God, do you like this? My dear God, is that your will? Day and night, constantly speak to God with all the simplicity of a son toward his father. Then you feel the love of the father and his divine protection. Then you love since you are loved and you are afraid lest you violate his divine will. You tremble lest you sadden your good father who showed you so much love without any self-interest. It is for you that he died on the cross. You will not fix the church or the world, whereas you will be corrected, perfected, and enlightened so as to enlighten those who are willing. Only a war will fix the world, which probably has already come or is coming at a gallop. Misfortune will bring many people to their senses, whereas the unrepentant will have no excuse. Remember, my son, that although you were formed out of clay, you are the breath of God. Do not disregard your worth and do not be engrossed in material things. You are the breath of God. Force yourself to become worthy of God's gift. Rejoice and delight in the Lord. I too rejoice as I keep Hezekiah here with our God. I leap for joy and exult in my beloved Hezekiah, chanting my healthful and philosophical little hymn. I found here a haven of stillness. Be healthy, my soul and my body. Swim, O my noose, in the sweetest tranquility, and ask not at all what your neighbor is doing. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. 49th letter. My life has passed with pain and illnesses. My child, I hope you are well. Just recently I got somewhat better too. This is how my life has passed, with pain and illnesses. Now I have approached death once again for your sake. I said, let me die, only let my spiritual children live. And I didn't eat at all. I was already exhausted and now I eat almost nothing once again. You sent so many sweets, but I didn't even taste them. I didn't have any cheese, only boiled greens without bread. It was only a short time before I collapsed. They had to give me 120 injections. Three times they stayed up all night thinking that I would die. They called everyone to come to my side. I bid them farewell for the last time. They cried by my side day and night. Finally, I recovered once again. They sent me a special medicine, and it after God healed me. I hadn't eaten for 40 days. When I took the medicine, I ate, slept, and got better. Glory to thee, O God. I began to move somewhat and to write again. As long as I live, my child, I shall pray for you until you write that you are well. And if I die, you will remember that this old man got sick and died to save all of us. Courage. It's not just you. There are many others. Many people have come to me and with prayer and fasting they were healed. But now the Lord doesn't hear me, so that I learn about medicines and doctors and be lenient with others. I also read the letters of St. Nectarios, and I saw how much he, such a great saint, paid attention to the doctors and medicines. I am just a poor ascetic who has grown old in the wilderness, and I wanted to heal only through faith. But now I too am learning that both medicines and grace are necessary. So now I shall say like the saint, 
See to it that you get well. Fix your nerves in any way you can, and you will find your prayer and peace again. See to it that you help yourself as much as you can. Take control of your appetite. Don't eat things that you know are harmful to your health. Fried foods, salty foods, sauces, pork, meats, salted fish, alcoholic beverages in general. Avoid all these things, and it will be considered to be fasting in the eyes of the Lord. And, my child, don't say in your thoughts, Why is this and why is that? The Lord's judgments are an abyss. Glory to God because He loves us all. His love is manifest in our illnesses and our sorrows. For my strength, he said, is made perfect in weakness. This love of Christ has also made me grieve and suffer with you. But do not fear temptation, it is a trial. God allows as much as he thinks is best, and in the end his goodness will prevail. As for me, I eat 100 grams of bread a day now, and a little bit of food, and I keep vigil all night long. Satan comes from afar and howls, but does not approach. He goes to your brethren and threatens them with fantasies. They should not be afraid. In the beginning of my monastic life, the demons fought with me for eight years in every way, and I wouldn't sleep lying down, only standing up or sitting down a little. So don't be afraid. Only prayer, faith, fervency, and tears. Only someone who commits a sin should fear the devil. Then the enemy can do him harm, because the Lord abandons him. Fiftieth letter. Who knows, my child, the judgments of God? Who knows, my child, the judgments of God? Everything is known to him. He sees everything and nothing escapes his notice, but no one knows his will. The works of Satan are nothing next to the power of God. So when the Lord tests us as he knows best, we should show our patience and thankfulness. Now then, my child, if his divine will is in accordance with our desire, certainly you will get well. But if he foresees something that we do not know, since as God he sees and judges differently from above, then you will not get well. Nevertheless, we do not lose our reward. It is stored up in his kingdom. So be patient and struggle. Just recently on the eve of St. Catherine's, I had a great struggle with Satan because of you. A visible fight. I was wondering if perhaps you had gotten well. He was furious, screaming. I stood at prayer all night for you and all day as well so that God might show mercy. Finally he left and did not come back. So tell me how you are doing, how you are getting along. Is Satan troubling you? Have patience. It is in this manner that you should pray. I, my dear God, want you to make me well so that I may bless and glorify you. But on the other hand, if you know differently what is profitable for the salvation of my soul, may your will be done. The all-good God, my good child, does not do anything that is not for the benefit of our soul, whether it be an illness or a temptation. Whatever he lets happen to us, he does for our benefit. Many times we grumble, become indignant, and do many bad things, whereas he, out of his great love, has only our soul's best interest in mind. For he knows that we are here temporarily and that everything will soon pass. When this exile of ours ends and the true eyes of our soul open, then we shall gratefully thank him for everything. So then, my good child, always have patience. 
I am informed that God gave you this trial because of your kindness, but whenever he wills, he can take it away. When I saw your parents, I told them to go to their spiritual father, to confess everything which they have never yet confessed, to say everything clearly, to remember any sinful things since childhood that they have forgotten. For without frank confession, neither are you helped, nor do they go to paradise. In confession, your father should tell about the oath he took. Your mother should tell about the burden she carries since the first years of her marriage. And likewise, all your siblings should confess everything. Everyone in the house should make a general confession to be cleansed, unburdened, and to become children of eternal life. And you, my child, write to me about whatever happens to you, and do not be afraid of the tempter. Just say the prayer without ceasing. He, my dear child, is the tempter, the devil. And only know, only the prayer burns him, and fasting severs his nerves. It unnerves him. So have infinite patience and thanksgiving. Pray and fast intensely, and may God destroy him. I am praying for your health, for your happiness, as well as for your parents and siblings. Let them be careful. Let them exert themselves. Let them take care of their salvation. 51st letter. Blessed is he who remembers death day and night and prepares himself to meet it. My beloved son, my child, son of Yosef, I received your letter, my son, and remembered days past. I fell on my knees and wept bitterly. I said, how vain and unsteady this world is. This period of life does not remain in one state, but continually alters and changes things. Alas, how much man labors in vain. Today we are together, tomorrow we are separate. Today we are happy and rejoice, tomorrow we argue and are upset. Today we are alive and sing sweetly, tomorrow we shall die and the worms will eat us. O vain world, O deceived man! Yesterday I had many sons and I boasted in them. Today I am left with only one inside a humble cave, and I sigh in my chest, and perhaps tomorrow they will be doing my requiem. How truly vain this life is, my son, how deceptive and short! Behold, another new year, once again wishes and hopes, but death is lurking somewhere, waiting for us to. Some day or night will be the last one of our life. Wherefore, blessed is he who remembers his death day and night and prepares himself to meet it. For it has a habit of coming joyfully to those who wait for it, but it arrives unexpectedly, bitterly, and harshly for those who do not expect it. Therefore, my son, you too should reflect on the falsehood, the illusion of this deceiving world, and with the help of God's grace be careful never to sin. For this deceiving world pushes everyone to be by its side, and if it is able to catch them in its nets, it will have them as its own forever. For men deceive and are deceived. As mortals they work on their mortal affairs, but you day and night listen to the divine voice within you. Do not love the world, all the deceit of the world, for it passes by quickly along with all its pleasures. Only he who does the will of God remains into the ages. Remember every day, my son, that you have been called to live this life as a monk and not as a layman. There are enough laymen in the world. I rejoice when you rejoice. I am sad when you are sad, my good son. I suffer when you suffer. 
Do not grieve beyond measure for anything. Leave it all to God. He knows what is beneficial for the soul better than we do. With all the worries and thoughts, you are harming yourself more than you are helping yourself. The wrongdoings of the past are corrected only by good repentance and a change of life. So rejoice in the Lord and see to it that you spend the rest of your life in repentance. 52nd Letter Woe to me, the lowly wretch! What account shall I give on Judgment Day? Love of my soul, my son whom I begot through the Holy Spirit, I received your letter, my beloved son. When I saw your news, I wept bitterly. I raised my hands to our sweetest Christ, and with all my strength, I cried out with tender love. Open, I said, O my sweet breeze, Jesus my Savior, open the showers of thy divine spirit and pour the water of thy comforting grace into the soul of my son. Console and heal his heart, sweetening it with the sweetness of thy divine and inexpressible sweetness, of which no tongue can speak. Send forth my light-giving Jesus, an illuminating beam of thy divine knowledge, and shine in the soul of my Son the light of thy divine effulgence, so that he may rejoice and leap like a deer, and forget his afflictions and everything in the world. Yes, my sweetest fragrance. Yes, my most fragrant breath. Yes, my beloved Christ. Have pity on thy creature, and do not let him suffer beyond his strength. Such things do I say to our Lord for you, my dearest son. I speak and pray sincerely, not just simply out of habit. I stretch out my hands with pain of soul and soak the ground with tears, saying, Grant thy grace, my sweet breeze, Christ, my life. Bestow it upon thy servant and deliver him from the enemies which have encompassed him. Dispel everything and miraculously transform it into tranquility and peace, as thine all-seeing divine powers want to do. For thou art the succour and the power, the mercy and the compassion, and to thee do we send up glory now and to the endless ages. I, your humble father, say and do such things, my beloved son, ever since I received the first letter in which you wrote us about your afflictions. And behold, as I was anxious to hear from you, the basket came to us with apples, like those of St. Euphrosinus. I searched out your note and hastily sought to learn the news of your soul. But when I saw that your sufferings were not over yet, I turned my intellect to prayer once more. And when I eat the apples, my soul will abundantly bless you, and you will be blessed by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the one holy, consubstantial, and undivided Trinity, the only source of every good thing and of every blessing. You wrote to me that you are considering doing a holy deed. Well, if you complete it favorably, thank God. But if you are hindered for any reason whatsoever, do not be distressed. You will do it another time if it is the Lord's will. Many things are hindered for a while because their time has not yet come, sometimes because men hinder them. For as the saints say, men are able to hinder the Lord's will for many years, and sometimes because they are completely against the Lord's will. There are innumerable examples in the lives of the saints, which undoubtedly your reverence reads, although you already know a great deal through your personal experience. Therefore, no matter how the sphere of our full life full of suffering rotates, you must remain composed and bear, like Atlas, the adversities of your life, since, as you said, you have been called to be a shepherd of many sheep. I, on the contrary, 
as has been shown, am only fit to guard the rocks, since I lack such a gift and am unworthy to preach. Woe to me, the lowly wretch, if I do not contemplate such things and acknowledge the graces of my brethren. What account shall I give on that day? For after being tricked once and twice into preaching by flattery, I tried but failed completely, and now I still suffer the consequences. Woe to me, the lowly old-timer! As I gather from the appearance of things, twice have I gone against the divine will out of ignorance. With what words shall I rebuke my wretched soul? In what way shall I implore my Lord? Or what work shall I do which will be pleasing to my God? Woe to me, the lowly one, for tears have dried up from my eyes. A thick night has overtaken me, and I become insensitive when I am praised by the fathers here. And may our sweet Jesus be merciful through the prayers of our holy fathers. I have digressed, my dear priest, and wandered off the subject, remembering days of old. Forgive me, your father. Nevertheless, lowly as I may be, I have begotten you through the Holy Spirit. 53rd letter. Oh, my child, a person is never entirely bad. I suffered, my good son, to make you a son of Joseph the sinner. Later, I painfully grieved because you left me, but recently I have felt much love for you again. I roam about calling, my son, my son, where are you? Where are you going, my child? Why, my child, did you leave your light burden of obedience and choose the burden of Sisyphus? Saying these things, I remain silently sorrowful, leaving the rest to silence. But I remember your good service, which I now lack, and I forget the bitter warm wood you gave me to drink by leaving. You came, you passed by again, my son, and said that you would write. And truly, I waited for you to write for me a few words. But I said, my beloved son has fooled me once more. Just a little while ago, our good deacon brought me an envelope. And with utter joy, I opened it to see that you, what you wrote. But unfortunately, instead of a letter, I found inside only a muzzle. The number 500. As if to say, shut up and eat. Even this is good, my child, and I truly thank you very much. But it is nothing like a little letter from you. Oh, my child, a person is never entirely bad. Each person has his good and bad points. When you remember his good points, you pray for him, you are moved, your soul feels for him, and you entreat God for him. And as for his bad side, he is not to blame, but our enemy the devil is. Therefore, don't be sad, my child, and don't remember the past. For those things have passed, worse things have come upon me, so that yours seems like a fragrance to me. Since then I pray and hurt more for you, so don't be sad. We are human and children of transgression, having as a cornerstone the sin of Adam and Eve. So the Lord is condescending toward us and forgives everything when we repent. And don't forget the spiritual discussions we had at night when you came to my poor little hut, the joyful fasts, the feasts, the tranquility and silence, the unceasing prayer, the compunctious fragrance of the lilies of the humble wilderness. Our beloved old Arsenios, who made you cake, and lovingly teased you. Remember these things. Leave aside those other things regarding your departure because they will embitter you. You are going through enough as it is now. I forgot to tell you that we have now built a separate little hut further down, but it's not done yet. 
For the time being, I live next to it in a small cave. I made it because I would talk at night with Father Arsenios, and this would ruin my quiet. Now I have amazing stillness. I am the most fortunate of men because I live without worries, enjoying the honey of Hezekiah without any interruption. When grace withdraws, though Hezekiah, like another grace, shelters me in its bosom, and the pains and sorrows of this evil and toilsome life seem smaller, for the sorrows and joys of this present life alternate until our last breath. That is why Philip of Macedonia, as is described in history, when three notices full of joy and honor came to him at the same time, took off his ring, an expensive one, and threw it in the sea, so that with the loss of his ring he would moderate his excessive joy, just in case, he said, I am not able to endure the many sorrows that may simultaneously befall me. Do you see, my son, that although they lacked grace, the truth of things made them wise enough to redeem the time and live in moderation? And how much more we Christians, who have been perfected and have tasted abundantly of the gifts of Christ, ought to live in a godly manner, redeeming the time and patiently enduring all the sorrows of this temporary life. Yes, my child, for as long as we live, life has no rest. It is leavened with tribulations. Everything is mixed and blessed. Blessed is he who has the wisdom to profit from everything he encounters. But things which seem awful to us are the things that bring greater profit to the soul when we endure them without grumbling. It is amazing, though, how all the temporary, all the vain things of this present life change and shift. And then, in a moment, the first shall become last, and the last first. 54th letter. Living in the wilderness has its own struggles, whereas living in the world has many other different kinds of struggles. You yourself know from experience that wherever we may be, my son, we need much patience. Living in the wilderness has its own struggles, whereas living in the world has many other different kinds of struggles. So be brave, and since you have chosen this burden, bear it with the fear of God. And believe me, my child, I shall forcibly gather my strength, weakened and deadened from the toils, to entreat God that you suffer no harm from the foolish plots of the enemies of our faith. However, if it is written from above that you will undergo some trial for the benefit of your soul, I shall beseech God to grant you patience and bravery of soul. Do not fear. The Masons are devising many plans and want to do many things, but only if the Lord of all allows them to. Without his will, as he said, neither a hair nor a leaf falls. He shall disperse their counsels. For the time being, this is sufficient for us. As for later, let God, who keeps us alive, take care of it. Your endeavors should begin with God and end with God. And do not fear the temptations that come. For by the grace of Christ they dissipate like smoke. As for the temptations of yours that you mentioned, I think this is the truth. For that demon to trouble you, it seems that something good is happening that bothers him. But you also gain much when you are tempted. In addition to the reward for patience, you become practiced and learn about people. If a stone does not strike against another stone, no spark is produced. An untried man is completely worthless. You learned much when you were here, and now you are learning much there. But be prudent from now on and walk with caution. 
understanding what the will of the Lord is because the days are evil. Learn to redeem the time and the circumstances. The temptation you now have will pass, but another one will come because the enemy never rests. Didn't you see what he said to God when he asked him about Job? It is the same for all of us. The temptation comes in accordance with one's stature, and you must endure in order to emerge victorious. Christ, who sets the contest, allows temptations for this reason, so that we may gain victories against the enemy, be purged from passions, and be perfected. So struggle and be patient. Do not grow weary. Do not turn back. When you see that you're exhausted, make a trip here and rest. You will regain your strength and then return once again to struggle. The struggle lasts for life, and the tempter, wherever you are, wherever you go, is beside you. You thought that by departing from here, the pleasure of the spiritual warfare, the pressure of the spiritual warfare would cease. But now you fully realize that there is no such thing as a place without temptation. A person needs to win in the place where he is being fought, so as to bring sorrow and shame to the devil and joy and glory to God. 55th letter. Teach them all noetic prayer, to say the prayer without ceasing. My son, my blessed priest, may mercy, enlightenment, strength, peace, love, and the abundant grace of the Lord be upon your noble soul. May the Lord our God send you a good angel to direct your steps in the way of peace, according to his holy will. My truly beloved son, who won my love with your noble feelings, may your fiery soul be graced with brilliant splendor. May the holy protection of our sweetest queen, the pure virgin and Theotokos, cover you like Moses, along with all of your children, as the divine Andrew, the fool for Christ, saw in Constantinople. May our sweet Jesus make your noose and heart shine with his holy seal, as well as every God-pleasing work of yours, so that the enemy will not find anything at all to plunder. At his second coming, may he reward and bless and crown every single one of your good deeds done with love. May he enrich all your children through his rich endowment and heavenly grace, and may they become fragrant flowers of paradise, so that you will see them in that day and rejoice. I too rejoice, seeing all of you as flowers with the sweet smell of good works, I who am an empty of every good. This is my joy and happiness and wealth in my poverty, my great boast, that I am a father of a good son and grandfather of many children. Thus, through your spiritual works, the Father is glorified, the Son rejoices, and the Holy Spirit exults. My enormous gratitude for everything ascends to this seventh heaven, and my prayers above bear witness to this. Please, Send me the names of those in your synodia so that I can pray for them at least once. Teach them all to pray noetically, to say the prayer without ceasing. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Kyrie Jesu Christe, aleis on me. In the beginning with the lips and the noose, later with the noose and the heart. And they will quickly find the path of life, the door of paradise, or rather the prayer itself when said with desire, will become like a paradise within them. Prayer of the heart is not susceptible to delusion unless one is passionate and already deluded. With prayer of the heart, as soon as the noose enters the heart, immediately its darkness is cleared and straightway it becomes peaceful and calm. 
it rejoices, is sweetened, rests, and is cleansed. It rejoices and becomes like a small child free from passions. Bodily members which used to tempt him become peaceful and humble, just like the hand, the nose, and the rest of the members of the body. Therefore, whoever wants to, let him taste this honey, and it will become a fountain of joy and happiness within him, unless one is cunning, hypocritical, envious, miserly, sensual, vainglorious, or in general passionate, and wants to say the prayer while voluntarily remaining with his passions, unrepentant, incorrigible. Such a person obviously disdains the action of the prayer and the mercy of the Lord. The prayer helps everyone, but each person must struggle in accordance with his own strength. God gives his grace according to one's intention. If anyone says the prayer without repenting, either the prayer will cease or he will fall into delusion. Women, in particular, make progress in the prayer more easily because of the self-denial and obedience they have to their spiritual guide. However, the faster they make progress, the more easily they fall into delusion if they proceed thoughtlessly without caution. It is not just a matter of saying the prayer, but it is also a matter of being attentive. You must be vigilant with your thoughts, masterfully controlling them. Otherwise, they will take control of you, and in the end you will become the laughingstock of the demons. I have never seen a soul make progress in the prayer without frank confession of secret thoughts. My child, do you want to crush the head of the serpent? Openly reveal your thoughts in confession. The strength of the devil lies in cunning thoughts. Do you hold on to them? He remains hidden. Do you bring them to light? He disappears. And then Christ rejoices, the, the prayer progresses, and the light of grace heals and brings peace to your noose and heart. So, my priest, that lady you wrote about is a holy soul. But see to it that you explain to her the things I shall write here, so that she will be careful. For the enemy does not sleep. He hates man and contrives everything to deceive him. Since she suffers such a martyrdom from her husband, God comforts her with these consolations and various visions. But she should not consider such things to be the main power of the soul, because the evil one intervenes and quickly changes things. The main power of the prayer and the entire appetitive power of the soul lies in the cleansing of the heart by means of noetic prayer. What does the Lord say? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He does not say, Blessed are those who see visions and revelations. So one should not rejoice in these things, even if they are from God. But one should rejoice when one sees that the noose has found the heart and remains inside it. Then the entire body is at peace. The soul is calmed, the heart leaps, the noose illuminates its powers, and tears run like a stream. The evil one is able to transform everything, but these things that we're talking about now, he cannot imitate. Nevertheless, when she sees something, she should not tell anyone about it, except her elder and spiritual father, no one else. These things are happening now because she is suffering and has great simplicity and fear of God. But these things do not last until the end. The evil one changes them when he finds a way. Later, they lead to delusion. Therefore, much caution and humility are needed. She must think of herself as a worm of the earth and accept as true only whatever her spiritual father tells her. 
because if she starts accepting them, in a little while her thoughts will become sick, and she will end up accepting all demonic and silly things as true and sent from God. What happens after that? A person becomes the mock of the demons. They fool him with writings and visions, with dreams and revelations, with symbols and numbers, with oracles and a heap of superstitions. May God protect her from this kind of change. Therefore, my priest, see to it that your reverence always humbles her, lest her thoughts change and she becomes proud. Now, as for the brother who prays, see to it that you guide him correctly with what we are saying now, that he correct his spiritual alignment. Other monks here have suffered the same thing. That activity is not just grace. It is zeal, blood, strength, demons, passions, desire, pride, and love all mixed up together. Everything has to be put in place, and then all will be well. First of all, he needs a strict fast to thin his blood, to humble his heart, which is full of indecent sensuality. He must also undertake other struggles at night to help prayer. Then he must be attentive to his noose, that it does not go below the heart, below the belly. He must not imagine various things, but must hold his noose at the pinnacle of his heart. He should not breathe rapidly, but say about five prayers or more, with each breath. If he feels a stimulation of the flesh, he should hold his breath and stand up as long as he can. And if he feels a great deal of pleasure going to his heart, he must prevent it. He must not seek it, but should detest it. When grace comes, all the schemes of the evil ones cease, for it abolishes them. It comes like a gentle breeze, like a subtle, fragrant zephyr, which deadens the flesh and then raises the soul. It enlightens our noose, and in the end, when it comes, grace itself teaches a person. Read my letter to your Senodia so that they learn humility, for there are some who are running around, running without a bridle, without moderation and discernment. This is how I see things from here and how I am informed. Man is not meant only to run, but also to count the miles. Nor should he remain behind out of negligence. It seems to me that there are some who have become slothful. See to it that they don't neglect their duties, for each day incurs debts with its own account. So let them make a new beginning. Let them compel themselves in prayer. They must collect and hold their noose inside their heart and say the prayer slowly. And we are praying that they will soon obtain the Lord's mercy. Tell them first to bring the noose down into the heart with their breath. Next, the breath along with the prayer goes in and out while the noose remains within. It must be held violently. It, it must not be allowed to leave. And once it stays there, then it is like two mad lovers who meet each other after many, many years, love, joy, and heavenly delight. But there's a great deal of hard work and sweat in the beginning. 56th letter. He who made the ages and existed before the ages and in profound silence created the heavenly powers of the holy angels. Christ is born to save everyone. Therefore rejoice and exult with the angels and shepherds and all the creation, beloved children of Jesus. First of all, like the Magi, I bring you the splendid news 
that our sweet Jesus is born, and all creation exults and is fragrant, for it sees its creator held in the virgin's arms. The angels rejoice together with it and chant melodically, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. For God, the Prince of Peace, is born, he who made the ages, and existed before the ages, and in profound silence created the heavenly powers of the holy angels. He is held today in the arms of his sweetest mother. He is fed with milk and warmed in her bosom in order to save us all. Our sweet Jesus is born so that we may be reborn. He became man to save us and show us the way in which we must follow him and imitate his deeds. He left us commandments so that we would not wander onto roads leading nowhere and walk in darkness. Our sweet Jesus took on flesh so much that we may eat it and enjoy the blessed affinity, that we may become brothers of our Christ and children of his all-immaculate mother, and finally that we may become in all respects imitators of the Lord and children of the heavenly Father by grace. So let each one of us, both young and old, with every word we say, with every step we take, at every moment at night and day, examine if perhaps we do say or think something that is not pleasing to Christ. I wonder, are we always worthy when we approach to commune Christ? I wonder, do we walk in imitation of him? I wonder, does our sweet Jesus remain within us? Does he find a place in our pure heart or does he depart immediately? A true Christian ought to examine all these things at every moment, especially one who wants to walk the straight and narrow way of our Lord and reach perfection, just like you do, the beloved children of my good and kindly spiritual son who suffered so much and lost his health so that you would find your spiritual happiness and health. Indeed, every shepherd of rational sheep ought to sacrifice himself for the flock, imitating Christ the Master, who came to give his soul as a ransom for many. So see to it that with much mutual love, with a pure conscience, with pain of soul, and with Christ's love, you have perfect obedience to him so that Christ is pleased and so that this Father of yours who cares for all of you and seeks your benefit does not grumble. Give up your own will, for it is one's spiritual death. And let each one of you cover up each other's faults so that Christ in turn will cover up yours. For if you seek justice from your brother, immediately you find yourself up against God, who puts up with you the sinner. Now that he has awakened you with his grace, you don't want to put up with your weak brother. So where is your justice? And what if Christ takes his grace away from you and demands the 10,000 talents you owe? What hast thou, ungrateful man, that thou dost not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory every day as if thou hast not received it? Say to yourself, If you are standing, my soul, you do so only because grace is supporting you, and if your brother falls, he falls because grace is absent. Therefore thank God and do not usurp foreign things as if they were yours, because then God takes his grace away and gives it to him, with the result that you fall and your neighbor rises. You will see your mistake then, but it will be too late. So whoever amongst you seeks justice, let him know that it is this, to bear the burden of one's brother until one's last breath, and to have perfect obedience to one's guide. Only with love is a weak person edified. And when your spiritual father sees your concord and love, 
he has joy and gives joy. But when he sees complaining and quarreling, his health breaks down and he meets an untimely death, leaving you orphans. Signed, I pray with all my soul for all of you together, my beloved grandchildren. Humble Father Yosef. 57th letter. The beautiful rocks theologize like voiceless theologians, as does all of nature. My dear priest, I wrote and sent that short letter of mine before reading yours, because they were in a rush to make it to the post office in Daphne. Upon reading it, I was very moved to see that you remember the beautiful crags, which are so carefree and quiet. As for me, after I sent you that long letter about the demons, my attitude toward you changed. Abundant love. Often your face revolved around in my mind. I mentally kissed you many times and wondered, what could this mean? I said to myself, either my good son is taking great care to comfort us, or something else happened to him. And now that I have seen your letter and the treats you arranged for us, I understood that this was it, and I marveled at the consoling and clairvoyant revelations of the all-wise God. How swiftly does he inform us when another person changes? A spiritual bond an invisible communication, an exchange of love, notification from God. There is nothing sweeter or more precious than to understand divine revelations. So come, my dearly beloved son, come now, even if for only one day, to talk about God and to theologize, to enjoy what you yearn for, to listen to the rough crags, those mystical and silent theologians which expound deep thoughts and guide the heart and noose towards the Creator. After spring, it is beautiful here, from Holy Pascha until the Panagia's day in August. The beautiful rocks theologize like voiceless theologians, as does all of nature, each creature with its own voice or its silence. If you bump your hand against a little plant, immediately it shouts very loudly with its natural fragrance, Ouch! You didn't see me, but hit me, and so on. Everything has its own voice, so that when the wind blows, their movement creates a harmonious musical doxology to God. And what more can we say about the creeping things and the winged birds? When that saint sent his disciple to tell the frogs to be quiet so that they could read the midnight service, they answered him, Be patient until we're done with matins. So... My beloved son, this is what the wilderness has that you long for. Whenever you wish, come with one or two people of your synodia. The truth is, these days, I was expecting you to come and rest a little. In fact, I was going to tell you to stay in this cell of ours to have perfect silence. But since you didn't come, we shall wait for another time in the summer. For your therapy, stay here a little in the summer. Rest and quiet are very conducive to man's twofold health. You see that during these bad times, you've been very useful to us. I need you to stay alive as long as I am also alive. But when I die, you can follow too if you want to, and we shall be together to the place where our sweetest Jesus will give us repose with his eternal blessings, where we shall rejoice together continuously with our sweet and dear mother, the sweetest fragrance of every breath of Christians, where we shall delight with the angels and the saints. I am not doing so well. I have this uh, hyperalbuminia, and I am constantly all swollen up and feel faint. 
Perhaps I have just a few days left. I am begging God to take me so that I can rest. I have become tired of this life. If I die, do not forget me in your liturgy, and I shall pray for you much more from there if I find more quiet. 58th letter. As the priest was sensing. My blessed and beloved priest, it has been a while since I last received a letter from you or from any of your spiritual children. May our Panagia protect you from every evil, from every machination of the enemy. Now great Lent is approaching to lighten our noose and our body. So I pray that we all pass through it with health and that with the grace of our holy God, we may also reach Holy Pascha. But a greater struggle and more caution are needed during Lent. In the previous letter I sent you, I did not explain completely the meaning I gave to the feeling of your spiritual and noetic presence. Therefore, I shall give you an explanation now. Since your reverence took care to comfort us with perfect love that time more than any other time, and since your mind was, as you wrote, in the crags of the wilderness, your face was constantly revolving around in my mind, noetically, with much joy and love. It reminded me of that priest, or rather that saint, who saw a vision when the priest was sensing. Some who were sitting in their stall, he did not sense, while others who were away doing an obedience, their stall was empty, he did sense, because their mind was in the church. Whereas the others who were thinking about worldly things were not there. Something similar once happened also to me with Theodora of blessed memory. Her presence was so vivid that I even felt her breath in beside me when she was alive, even though I was here on the holy mountain and she was in the world. 59th letter. We shall use plagal of the first tone, which is joyous. My dear priest, I hope that this letter finds you in full health. We, by God's grace, are moderately well. We received your letter and the photograph, which moved me deeply. It had been a long time since I had received a letter from you, and it was like hearing news from someone in the other life. That is how it seemed to me, also because you are so far away. I don't know how you ended up there, but may God not abandon you. May he remember the hard work you did as a beginner, the zeal of your youthful ascesis, and may he extend his mercy and compassion upon your repentance. I never forgot even once, nor did I erase your name from the list for the liturgy because you are my child. No matter what a child does, his father feels for him, even if he saddens him momentarily. The reason why I kept silent and did not write is the following. Since you forced me to have you released, although I didn't want to, since I wanted you to be an Athenite monk, Finally, not to be disobedient, I did so, but without being responsible anymore, since you yourself had taken up the burden. And see how badly it turned out? Then within a month you asked me to have your name reinstated. You insisted at a time when it wasn't possible anymore because thousands of lies would have been necessary. Therefore, since I was afraid of burdening my soul, I sadly chose silence to avoid the burden. But now all of these things have passed. And I always remember you, love you, and feel for you. I haven't forgotten your kindness. Only when my soul will be harmed, I don't agree, for God greatly surpasses human love. And even if you gave me all the good things in the world, 
If I realize that something is not according to the will of God, I should never do it unto the ages. Since day and night I seek to do God's will, how can I transgress it? So don't say that I don't love you, but say that God does not agree with your ideas. You write about your sorrows. I am informed even without your letters that you are suffering very much. I see you fighting with beasts in the dark inside a labyrinth, not knowing what you're doing. And like another Eridani, I am giving you the string to escape. I'm opening the door for you, and with unadulterated fatherly love, I am inviting you to return. Come, my child. Come, let us make peace, so that you can come to your senses. Like a physician, I am able to cure your passion of agitation and grief, which now has laid a strong hold of you. Come and see that I shall change the tune. We shall chant Plagal of the first tone, which is joyous. I shall slay the fatted calf, and we shall make merry. I am full of love and forgiveness. As a loving father, I shall receive you in my arms, like the sun in the parable. I shall kiss your mouth, which may have said unseemly things, and it will be blessed henceforth to speak decently. Never again will it judge anyone. I have had my fill of such things, and no matter what I hear, and no matter what, the, what they tell me, it doesn't bother me. Besides, we are human. We see things one way, and I see things another way, as long as we see in God. I, the lowly one, do not feel as if I have saddened or annoyed either you or anyone else by siding with the monasteries. Don't believe everything you hear. The truth is a precious thing and is not found in everyone's word. Each person speaks according to his own manner of living, based on his way of life. Fathom how true his words are. Understand what I'm saying. You know that I do not talk more than is necessary. Whatever I have to say, I tell it to you straight, because I love your soul more than I love anyone else, and I desire your salvation. Behold, by buying grapes for the wine, I did your service this year too. I say to myself, when my son comes, he will find the cup of my fatherly love and affection ready. So farewell, my beloved son, and I entreat you, as long as you are far away, be careful, be careful, be careful. Don't let my priest go to waste. Don't forget why you became a monk. Two days ago, a Walesian father from Romania died here at Lakoski. He came back to life when we were about to bury him. And he said that he came out of hell where he was being punished because he used to get drunk while he was alive. So he told them, be careful that you do not end up there too. Then right away he died again that very moment and they laid him in the tomb. Therefore, my son, my son Absalom, listen to my fatherly voice, flee like a gazelle and save yourself in the midst of snares being careful not to be caught in the tentacles of sin. For as you know, my soul truly loves you more than it loves others, and with all my heart I am ardently entreating you on behalf of your immortal soul. Take care of it so that you don't weep in vain in the hour of death. I kiss you as my son, and I pray for you as my beloved. I clothed you with the purple of repentance and put a ring on your finger. So see to it that you enter the bridal chamber. Don't end up crying bitterly outside. Your fatherly and intercessor, sinful Yosef.
Sixtieth letter. Well, even now, see to it that you come back. May God be merciful to you, my blessed priest. I pray that you are well. I hope that my letter finds you in full health. We received your letter, my son, and I was very moved because it had been a while since I heard from you. I had sent you another letter, but I am sad because it seems that you didn't receive it. I became seriously ill from a pimple on my neck. I paid no attention to it and left it to God. But it nearly killed me because the entire left side of my body was infected and death was imminent. I became delirious and could not recognize the fathers. Everyone was weeping and clamoring to call doctors. I felt sorry for them and let them do their will. So I started having injections, medicines, doctors, two doctors from the world and Artemios here. And finally, with God's help, they brought me back. 50 injections, as well as other booster shots, seven incisions from my thigh down to my foot. Blood flowed like a river. I had to change six times a day. I was immobile for five months. They had to turn me over on the bedsheet. We used up all the cotton in Daphne. A huge wound. They drained the pus from my neck with a cup. A lemon could fit in the hole. And now I still feel pain in that whole area. It was a great trial. I thank God very much that he showed me his great love. May his holy name be glorified. The sister you know was my only help from the world. Like a mother, she frequently sent all things necessary for the sick. Our Panagia will reward her duly for her love. I am well now. I can stand on my feet. I walk with canes. I am cooking again, as I used to. But now, my beloved son, let us talk about you. I wept when I read your letter. I remembered bygone days and meditated at night with my heart. Oh, 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 love of my soul, do you remember that when you left, you said that everyone gave you his blessing to go out and return after eight days, and that you were sad because I was the only one that did not agree? And I told you that you were go what, what you were saying would never come to pass, and that once you got there, you would break your promises and return. Do you see that I am more realistic than everyone else? Do you see that you have moved away instead of coming back? Well, even now, see to it that you come back and rest for good here beside us. There are many little houses, and you will be near your brethren, who love you and will look after you. And when I die, I shall see you by my side, and you, too, will leave your remains on the holy mountain without the delusions of those people who led you away from your repentance and handed you over to be tossed about once more in the salty sea of the world. From now on, I don't want any more help from you. Only see to it that you come back, that you return to the garden of our Panagia. Thank you, thank you very much for everything. We here, by the grace of Christ, are doing well. With the divine liturgies, we are provided for sufficiently. People send us names and money for 40-day liturgies, and we also do some handicrafts. Our young priest is sickly. Yosif is the superior of the skeet this year, so he's busy with the visitors. He provides no help to us. Athanasios stays by himself in a hut. Father Harlambos makes some stamps for Prosphora. Elder Arsenios is the gardener, and I am the cook. 
Theophylactus is with Yosef. We had two little old men who died. You didn't know them. We also have a Nicodemus who washes the dishes for us. We live very pleasantly by the grace of God. This is how you will live too. Don't give it a second thought. You will be fine. We also have a little boat to go fishing. They catch perches, pinas, and sea urchins. Yosef is the captain of the boat. But our main work is noetic prayer, mourning and tears, watchfulness and theoria. Abundant are thy spiritual mercies, O Lord. A good young boy came from there, but he didn't stay long enough for us to teach him noetic prayer. He went back. He is the one who told us about your health. You have greetings and prayers from everyone. I also greet you paternally, your most humble, yet under Yosef. 61st letter. O vain world, O deceptive mankind, you have nothing good in you. My beloved child, Fotini, my divine sacred love, I pray that you are well. My little child, my small butterfly, I received your letter and saw what you wrote. I rejoice that you are all well, but I am not well. Many expenses and medicines, but no health at all. Slowly but surely, I am walking to the fatherland. Here we have no continuing city. My synodia is trying with every means to turn me back, but unfortunately I am quickly walking toward the grave. I shall go there and wait for all of you. My photony, my light, my photony. We were once buds and became flowers. And then the leaves fell, the wind scattered them, and we were forgotten. We have dried up like grass whose flower has fallen. So what is left for us? If we have done and sent anything to the other life, only that remains intact. No one can take it. No one can steal it. So, my Fotini, let us store up whatever we can for that life. If at this very hour death finds us and we leave some things here, others will enjoy them. You will be forgotten as if you never existed. O vain world, O deceived mankind, you have nothing good in you, all lies, all deceit. You deceive us, you fool us, you toy with us. You show us years and talents and prolonged health and then suddenly death finds us. And all these things burst like bubbles and tear like a spider's web. This, my beloved child, this is the enjoyment of the world. So lay hold of instruction, weep and mourn. You have gotten to know God very well. Pray and cry out. My God, my God, look upon thy photony. Open thy heavens once again and let a drop of thy divine grace fall. Enlighten the eyes of her soul and have mercy on her. O oh my God, my God, thou who seest the secret parts of our soul, sweeten our heart, which the evil one has embittered and which has forgotten thy love. This is the kind of prayer you should say and cry out. This very moment that I'm writing to you, the swelling has reached my navel. My priest went to Daphne, and without my knowledge, he contacted a doctor on the telephone and brought him here and told me that the doctor happened to be passing by. So he looked at me and told me that I have a heart problem caused by purulent tonsils. He gave me pills for the swelling and stimulating injection for the tonsils like those which John sent. 
so it was 1,300 drachmas for one visit. Fortunately, I have spiritual children in America, and they all write, Take care of your health. Don't leave us orphans. And they send money. Another visit cost 1,600, including the medicines. That's all. Whether I want to or not, they are not letting me die. So be patient. 62nd letter. I shall write a little composition for my son. My beloved child, my divine and sacred love, I pray that you will always be well. Pay heed to what I am about to write to you. Have it as a keepsake. Study it, and I trust that you will benefit from it. God, my child, formed man out of the earth. That is, once he created all of creation like a garden, he made the luminaries and adorned the firmament. He made the moon to rule over the, all the stars of the night, which, like a chandelier with many lights, small and great, adorn and beautify heaven. He made the earth with multitudes of trees, both small and great, the beasts and creeping things, birds of all sizes flying beneath the heaven, the domestic animals and birds for the use of man, the sea with all kinds of fish. Everything was made for man to feed upon and marvel at. And above all these things, he made the great luminary to rule over the day, to warm everything with its heat, and to beautify and adorn all things with its light. And man was created last as a king over all, as if called to be a spectator in a theater. What grandeur! What honor for man! Everything animate and inanimate sings praises to God, some with their voice, others with the movement of their leaves, one has its own voice, and even a small blade of grass. If you crush it, it shouts. The scent it gives off is its own voice. So all these things that the Holy Scriptures mention were all made for man. He made man last of all, so that he would see that everything was very good and rejoice with delight beholding them. But how was man formed? God took earth, the most humble material, so that he would always be humble. There is nothing more humble than earth. He designed a little clay house, breathed into it, and created man's soul. That is, God placed the divine breathing as if within four walls of clay. He placed his breath inside. O heavenly grandeur! O glory and honor of man! He is humble clay, but he is also divine breath. A time will come when he will change. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. The words of our Creator shall be fulfilled. But what will happen to the divine inbreathing, the divine breath? Just as the dust will return to the dust, likewise the soul, which is the inbreathing of God, will return to God. Yes, but how? When it came forth from God, it was a fragrant divine breath. But is it so now? No, it is not. So what will happen? Purification is necessary. Tears, mourning, pain. For you have saddened God, your benefactor and father, who is so good, who glorified you, the clay, so much, who gave you his divine breath. These deeds of repentance will purify you by his grace. So then weep and mourn, so that he may restore you to your original state. And when you weep, with bitter pain of soul for having sinned against God and having saddened him, 
then comfort and consolation overshadow you, and then the door of prayer opens. I know a man who, while weeping, wanted to hold back the tears because someone happened to pass by, but he could not restrain himself, for they flow with great impetus, as if one were mortally wounded. When set with pain, the prayer gives birth to mourning. Mourning brings tears. Tears, in turn, give birth to purer prayer. For tears, like a fragrant myrrh, wash away the filth, and thus the inbreathing of God is cleansed, which, like a dove, is confined within four walls, as if made of the four elements. And then, as soon as the walls break down and collapse, the dove immediately flies to the Father whence it came. Sixty-third letter. We do not have a wedding garment, therefore we must purify ourselves. Well, we have said that we are the breath of God. Since we have affinity with God and God is present everywhere, we are always near God. We are His children, and considering the high position which He has given us to be His breath, we must be careful not to sadden Him. I beheld the Lord at my right hand that I might not be shaken. And since we have defiled our noose, heart, and body, and words, deeds, and thoughts, we have no boldness now. We do not have a wedding garment. Therefore we must purify ourselves with confession, with tears, with pain of soul, and above all with prayer, which purifies and perfects a person. The garment we hear about during Holy Week, I see thy bridal chamber adorned, O my Savior, but I have not a garment to enter therein is the grace of God, which is obtained through arduous, pure prayer. First, one prays with the simplicity typical of beginners and by shedding copious tears. All this is due to the grace of God, which is called purifying grace, which catches us like a fishhook and guides us towards repentance. For it is our God who is good in all and to all who finds us. He sees us, he invites us, he makes himself known to us first, then we get to know him, after he anoints us with his divine mercy. Hence, repentance, mourning, tears, and everything that happens to someone who repents is all due to divine grace. This is the purifying grace which cleanses man. There is no good thing that does not come from God, nor is there any bad thing that does not come from the devil. So don't ever get the idea that you have done something good without God, because as soon as you think like that, immediately grace will withdraw, and you will lose it so that you realize your weak condition and learn the adage, know thyself. In order for one to realize his weak nature, he must encounter many great temptations, and then through many trials, he's humbled and learns true humility. But it takes time. Humility does not consist of simple words, such as, I am a sinner, and so on. Humility is the truth, to learn that you are nothing. Nothing is what existed before God created everything. Nothing. So this nothing is what we are. Your root, your existence began with nothing, and your mother is clay, but your creator is God. What hast thou that thou dost not receive? Now if thou hast received it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? It is a great gift of God for one to learn the truth. And the Lord said that this truth 
frees us from sin. Knowledge of God is vision of God, because spiritual knowledge, not natural knowledge, knows God. For natural knowledge is discernment, which can tell good from bad, and all people have it. But spiritual knowledge comes from spiritual work and coming to know thyself. All these things happen to us by the grace of God through prayer. The grace of God is held, is beheld noetically, and is known by the perception of the noose during prayer. There are many ways to pray. All of them are good. If one does not know any better and prays with simplicity, but if one has a guide and yet is disobedient, then one regresses and falls into delusion. Except for circular noetic prayer, all other prayers may undergo change with time when, you sim when your simplicity is lost and you begin to have ideas about yourself. However, noetic prayer, the single-phrased invocation of the name of God, leaves no room for doubt, nor can it be followed by delusion. For within the heart, the name of Christ is called upon, and he cleanses us from darkness and guides us into the light. 64th letter. The heart does not tolerate divisions. Thou shalt bow down to thy God alone, and him shalt thou serve. Noetic prayers we mentioned above is the Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on me. Kyrie Jesu Christe eleison me. You should say this by lowering your noose into your heart with your breathing, as all the watchful fathers say. Restrain your breathing as much as you can while paying attention only to the words of the prayer. In the beginning, it is a lot of hard work because the noose is unaccustomed not to wander, but with time it learns to stand still. I know a brother who would keep his noose within his heart for six hours without distraction for up to one hour and sometimes longer. The prayer is said initially with toil, but later it is said effortlessly with wondrous exaltation. Since we have affinity with God, not in essence, but as we said, we are the breath of God. When we purify ourselves from sin through fasting, vigil, and this we are talking about, and through forcefulness and watchfulness, and by patiently enduring to keep the noose within the heart as if in confinement, and not letting it escape, then our good God looks upon us and sends forth his refreshing grace. Like a radiant, luminous cloud, it thoroughly illumines him. And then he who was in darkness a moment ago clearly beholds the inner man. Grace remains with him as long as the Lord wills. This happens perpetually, and thus a person is constantly purified and perfected by divine grace. For when grace overshadows, and the breath of God, which is our soul, as we have said, is a flame with love, it is uplifted, a divine union occurs. Then man is so assimilated with God that he can neither be recognized nor distinguish from him like the sun and its light or fire and iron when they are united. For the inbreathing and grace spring forth from the same source, our sweet God. Oh, how good our kind God is, how compassionate, he does not have any self-interest or need any man as the most perfect one, but since out of his great love he wanted to impart his most perfect gifts, he created all of creation. And having formed man, he made him king and bestowed everything upon him. God seeks only one thing, that you honor him, love him, and keep his commandments, 
acknowledging that he is your maker. He does not want you to divide his glory and to worship other things instead of him. He does not want you to love anything more than him. For this reason, when he gave his commandments to Moses through the divinely written law, he said, Hear, O Israel, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy soul and with all thine heart and with all thy might and with all thy mind. So, my beloved child, do you understand? He has left no room for your love to incline anywhere else, but absolutely all the desire of your soul should be to love the Lord. In this manner, his grace will dwell upon you. The heart does not tolerate divisions. Thou shalt bow down to thy God alone, and him shalt thou serve. Ah, then, then Christ, who is the word with the Father and the Spirit, will come within you, and as he promised, they will make their abode with you, and you will be a temple. Then the prayer will reign and will subjugate the noose. What a joy! What a joy for the miserable clay! How many good things the Lord gives us! I know a brother with this kind of love who fell into ecstasy. He saw three identical children of the same age in boundless light, and they blessed, intoning as many of you who have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, Alleluia. They said this many times as they blessed. I marveled at how much love this brother had for God. So don't look for any other way to approach God. Just love him with all your soul. Then you take no account of your body and torment it in order to overcome the passions. But it is the Lord who gives the strength to overcome them. And the more you are purified from the passions, the more peace you have, the wiser you are, and the more you understand God. Postscript. Well, my beloved child, my dear little child, I have begun writing to you. Copy my letters and send them back so that I can continue where I left off. In this way, you will make a little book to have as a keepsake. I shall write wonderful things to you which you have never heard before, my own inspiration, praxis, and theoria. I am near death. I am all swollen up, but I do not stop. I want to do something good, even if it means struggling, until my soul departs. The money you send goes to doctors, injections, and the poor. Not a penny is left over. The fathers here want flour now and are scolding me, but I am looking at the cypress trees where they will open my grave. <laughs>